0: Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. In today's podcast, I will be talking about how different body types affect the way we do our martial arts. The idea that people are basically the same because we all have two arms and two legs is an oversimplification so extreme that it is foolish. Yet, a lot of martial arts instruction is taught in a standardized way, which doesn't really address the normal variations of height, weight, and flexibility. These variations can be remarkable. I will also talk about some of the minor variations which may not seem obvious, but yet have a profound impact on your expression of the art. Before I get into today's topic, I want to bring up a very enlightening piece of information I just found out. It comes from an article posted a few months ago of an interview with Kobayashi Kiyohiru. Kiyohiru sensei is an eighth don from Daito-ru Sakaku Takeda taught Daito-ru Aikiju-jitsu and mentored Morihai Ueshiba, who took a great deal of what he was shown and turned it into Aikido. The revelation in this interview relates to a topic I covered in a previous podcast, which is the use of Hakama in Aikido training. Kiyohiro-sensei said, The Hakama was not used back in the old days, and the tradition of wearing Hakama started from Takeda-sensei's pride for being a bushi, By wearing a hakama and a haori during training, he emphasized the fact that he was a bushi, not a commoner, Bushi was the warrior class, as embodied by the samurai. A haori is a formal jacket. I mention this because it is another piece of evidence which confirms what I brought up in my previous podcast, that hakama, at least worn with the legs down, are not practical for fighting. The statement about why Takeda chose to wear them is enlightening. Takeda was trying to show that he was part of a higher social class than he actually was. The fact that he was wearing clothing, which was ill-suited to martial arts training, is interesting. Hakama and heori were formal clothing and were primarily worn by the upper classes of Japanese society. Hakama required a great deal of fabric to make and were more expensive than simpler pants. When you look at poorer soldiers, such as the ashigaru, or foot soldiers, They would not wear hakama, but simple pants, which are far more like normal dogi pants. Imagine training for boxing wearing a tuxedo because you wanted to look like you were wealthy or important. Hakama look nice, but then so does a tuxedo. That doesn't mean either are practical for martial arts training. Neither are suitable for combat either, which is why when you see samurai dressed in battle in artwork and photographs, they had their hakama bound up around their shins with either cloth wraps or greaves, which is lower leg armor. We don't know, or at least I don't know, exactly why O-sensei chose to wear hakama for Aikido training. I have heard that even through the material shortages during World War II that he insisted all students wear hakama for their training. Students would often cut up curtains to make hakama so that they could attend class. If anyone knows the reasoning O-sensei had for insisting on the use of hakama, please post in the comments or contact me privately. Now let's get started on today's topic. I'm taller than average at six foot four inches tall. For decades I've heard people say that tall fighters and martial artists have an advantage with their long reach. We have long arms and can strike from a distance that shorter fighters cannot. A step with our longer legs tends to cover more distance than those with shorter legs. These are pretty obvious advantages but they are far from absolute. There are disadvantages to being tall as well. First off, being tall means my center of gravity is high it isn't difficult to get underneath it for a throw. From a striking standpoint, I've got a lot of target area to hit. Mind you, I'm not complaining one bit because I like being tall. It wasn't until I started training Aikido that I ran into the more notable disadvantages of being a tall martial artist. A few techniques really hammered home the point that Aikido is invented by shorter people. When Aikido spread outside of Japan, it needed to address how to deal with a much taller attacker. There are two primary methods of doing this. One to bring the taller attacker down to your level and making him lose his posture by bending over, and two, going up to his level. The best example of this last approach was Koichi Tohei. Tohei is noted for his hop. He will jump into the air being completely off his feet as he enters or turns. If you've seen any film of Tohei, I'm sure you've seen what is often referred to as the Tohei hop. It was described to me that this hop is something he picked up when he came to America and had to deal with the much taller Americans. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but there's no denying that he used it. Funny story, I got to see a student of Tohei's lineage from another organization use it. This student was even taller than I was, and he was hopping his way through technique, even when performing technique on a shorter uke. Seeing this made me chuckle a bit, as I realized he didn't need to hop, but he did because Tohei did. That's not the first time I had seen a student pick up his teacher's movements. Many years ago, I had a fellow fighter who was very skilled. He had a bad knee that would not bend very much. So the steps that he took with the left leg were normal, but with the right leg, it was kind of a limping step. The funny part about this is that he had a student who looked up to him very much, so much so that he would use the same limping step, just because he mimicked the movement so completely. The student's knees were fine, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with them. No reason for him to limp, but he did so because that's what his mentor did. This always made me chuckle every time I saw it back to the disadvantage of height i was taller by almost everyone in my practice group by at least four inches this made techniques where i needed to get my center of gravity under theirs tricky the first technique i remember coming across that was difficult for this reason was shihonage or the four corner throw i could roll up Uke's arm just fine but having to drop under their shoulder while keeping my posture was something i thought was just not possible then one day i got to watch a sandan or third degree black belt test The nage was as tall as I was, and his uke was much shorter. He breezed under his nage so smooth and quick that it inspired me to copy how he did it. Within a month or two, I had gotten down his approach, and I'm really glad I got to see it. I still have to squat fairly low to get under uke's shoulder, but I found ways to do it and remain in good posture. Because of my long legs, it would not be what I would use with limited space because I need to spread my feet apart a fair bit to make it work properly. I do like that version because it keeps a good level of compression on uke, which helps me take their balance and keep it. My Shihan was my height, and a few years later guided me towards another option, which is to draw uke up to me. I find this is more difficult, although it is possible. The problem is that you give up the compression advantage, and if they are flexible or slippery, they can spin and possibly evade the technique. I'm still playing around with this one. One technique I'm still not wild about is Aikido's Koshinage, or hip throw. I've got to squat pretty low to make it work properly. If uke is lighter than I am or about the same build, it's no problem. But if they are bigger than I am or heavier, I would usually pick another technique to do. After studying Judo for a while, I've discovered Judo has far superior hip throws to Aikido's Koshinage, and usually go with those or some sort of variation of them instead. No art has better hip throws than judo. It's really great stuff. Aikido certainly has techniques which are very advantageous to those with a height advantage. A particular favorite of mine is sayunage, or left-right throw. Some practitioners also call this kokyanage, or breath throw. If you're taller than your uke, it is quite easy to move in above his arms, close the distance and stand beside and slightly behind him, and drop your weight down on him after you tip him a bit with your approach. This is one of my favorite techniques due to my height, which is very often an advantage for me. Another favorite is shomenate because of my long arms. I can usually outreach most ukes, so my hand gets to their chin just before they get into their striking range. This is Aikido's version of being able to strike from outside range, and I will happily take that advantage. Even though I'm tall, my build is pretty lean. This means I'm pretty easy to move once somebody gets a hold of me. Where this comes into play is dealing with ukes who are stocky, muscular, or very strong. They engage their strength and it will test your technique. Even when you have a good line, they can sometimes have enough strength to stop your technique or make you force your way through it. It is this experience which made me think of an old boxing adage. There's boxing and there's heavyweight boxing. The meaning here is that heavyweights move much differently from middleweights or lightweight fighters. Muhammad Ali was a notable exception being a heavyweight that moved more like a middleweight. He was quick on his feet, very agile, and slippery. Heavyweight fighters are more like large battleships than fast-moving cruisers. They may not be quick and agile, but you certainly don't want to get hit by one. I've noticed heavyweights tend to have slower feet, so would keep this difference in mind and make sure to take the advantage of my quicker footwork. The difference in weight is a simple physical one. One could say that the difference is physiological in that if the mind thinks that you are slow, then you will move slower. Since Ali didn't think this way, he was able to use quick and agile footwork despite his size and weight. The fact that different bodies move differently has profound effects on martial arts. As the movements of an art are different, so are the strategies that those movements employ. At first glance, it is obvious that the Japanese tend to be shorter than average. Martial arts from Eastern Asia and the Pacific Rim seem to be designed for smaller bodies. Speed and quickness tend to be the priority, as seen in Wing Chun, Taekwondo, and the arts of the Philippines, such as Kali, Eskrima, and Silat. Smaller bodies have a higher strength-to-weight ratio and have an easier time moving quickly. That's not to say there are not arts from this region which do not use strength or leverage, because there are. Judo, summa, and karate are notable examples. The oriental body tends to be slightly shorter in the legs and slightly longer in the torso than average, whereas Caucasians and Africans tend to have longer legs and shorter torsos. This is on average, of course. What are the effects these differences have on martial arts? One major difference is in the stance. Those with shorter legs tend to get better power by planting the back heel down. Doing so gives up some quickness in movement, though. This is why we see Eastern Asian arts teach about planting the back heel to generate power. In Western arts it's common to see the back heel off the ground with the back leg acting as more of a spring. The back leg is coiled and the explosiveness which comes from it also generates power and rather tremendous power. But which one is better? This is the kind of thing martial artists can argue about endlessly. Often it comes down to my art is better than your art type of debates. In reality, each is suited to the traits of the practitioners. If you have longer legs, you can plant your back heel, but realize you're giving up on using the leverage advantage you have by having longer legs. There's nothing wrong with that if that's how you want to do it. Once you know your body and its strengths, then it makes sense to use methods which are made to take greatest advantage of them. I've found I really like the advantages of quick mobility and power that come from using the back heel up like a boxer, so I've integrated that with my Aikido. When I need more power and don't mind giving up some mobility and speed, I lower the heel and engage the power through the heel. It's all about knowing which tool is appropriate and how to use it when you need it. I don't think any one approach is better than another, just more suitable for different people and different situations. One thing I've noticed about heavier people is they tend to avoid tipping their bodies by extending their shoulders during attacks and are therefore more stable inherently. The reason is that heavier people tend to have more muscle mass and can strike pretty hard without having to throw their bodies behind them. This means taking their balance can be fairly difficult. Once you do connect, they have enough mass that tipping them takes more effort than someone who is lighter or smaller. This is where I really like Yamada Sensei's approach of driving his hips through uke's hips. I found this approach invaluable to making many techniques work on heavier ukes where I struggled with them before. Remember, there are two ways to move someone. You get them to move themselves for you, or you have to move them. The bigger they are, the more work it is for you to move them. If you're like me, you have probably wasted a lot of effort trying to move somebody who is large. The alternative is to move around them and make them move to follow you. This is easier said than done, but practice using your mobility. If you are smaller, you likely have a mobility advantage. Even though it may be only slight, it is worth using. People who are large, with a lot of muscle mass, require a lot of blood to move it around. If you are smaller, you don't. Your lungs and heart don't have to work as hard to move your body around. This is an important advantage to use against a heavier or larger opponent. Time is on your side. Moving in and getting a hold of you is on their side. If you allow them to do this, you give up your advantage and they are in control. Remember, never play to Uke's strengths. Play to your own strengths and play to their weaknesses. One of the most remarkable lessons for dealing with an unusual body type came from a couple of fellow students who were junior to me, or Kohai, from my old dojo. They were sisters and they were the most flexible people I've ever encountered. Both of them had enough wrist flexibility to lay their fingers on their same forearm either backwards or forwards. They could rotate their wrists 360 degrees in both directions. They could also clasp their hands and rotate their arms up over their heads so their hands were fully behind their back and they could do this easily. Frankly, I thought they were made out of rubber. Applying Nikkyo was virtually pointless on them. Sankyo and Kodagash were nearly as frustrating. That is, until I discovered that neither of these techniques really were about the wrist. Once I learned it was far better to move my body to take them off their feet, with the help of a little bit of down pressure on the forearm, those techniques became reliable. Most pins were also nearly pointless, so the go-to would be to either sit or kneel on them to keep them pinned down. Yes, their elbows bent backwards far enough that they could pretty easily maneuver out of the standard ikkyo pin. Around brown belt level, I started figuring out that I needed to view these experiences as puzzles to be solved. Taking on that attitude made me look forward to training with a wide variety of different body types. With practice, I could tell what I was dealing with quickly and make the necessary adjustments. You can learn a lot when you have such people try to evade and escape your techniques. They are training gold. Another fellow student started when she was 12 years old, and she was quite small. She always had difficulty grabbing larger wrists for techniques like Sankyo due to her much smaller hands. An adjustment that worked very well for her was to grab some fingers with the other hand. Sankyo in particular works even better when the second hand grabs the bottom two joints of a couple of fingers. She could get a guy twice her size dancing on his toes doing that. I admit that I steal that approach myself. It just works too well. There is nothing wrong with using two hands to grab somebody who is much larger or stronger. Make sure you get control of them and if it takes two hands to do it, use both of them. I admit there was a time as a beginning and even intermediate student that I found great frustration when I encountered people who either had different body types or who moved in unpredictable ways in response to techniques. The reason was that I felt I was just starting to understand how technique worked, only to be shown that I couldn't consistently succeed with them. In time, I came to realize that it takes a lot more training to understand all the variations of a technique. There are many ways to adjust to different body types in order to make a technique work. My own body type and build plays into which variations work better than others. It's not a quick path to explore these, and I'm still working on it. It took putting the journey in proper perspective to keep it enjoyable. The false path is to blame Uke and make them respond how you want them to. A good practitioner has the skill to handle any body type effectively. It is your duty to learn what those are. Take these ukes who have different body types for what they are. They are gifts to your training. Working with them will teach you far more about Aikido than you may realize at first. Don't get frustrated, but be thankful you have someone who will help push your Aikido to get better. Just keep your mind focused on improving yourself, and before long you will handle them effectively. What are other topics you're interested in hearing covered in this podcast? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido The Marshall Site and post a comment. You can also support this podcast by donating either through a monthly sponsorship or through a single donation of any amount you like. I always enjoy hearing from the listeners of the show, whether through the comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.